0: Cool. All right, so uh, we're back for episode 27 of the Racing News, and unfortunately, uh, Kyle, we've had no racing in the last couple of weeks, so um, it's not it's not really going to be racing news, it's just going to be running news and running chats, but I'm sure we can fill. We'll fill 40 to 45 minutes just of running running chats, but we don't actually have any race results because we had that massive pickup of, of all those you know rescheduled races that came through in uh, in October and September. They filled the calendar weekend after weekend after weekend. And it's kind of like now we've just had a big breath before we go into November and uh, December's racing. So um, yeah, no racing, but Kyle's back. And uh, Kyle, take us through your week because you've had a pretty, pretty interesting week. A couple of different events. Yeah, different training. Good.
1: Yeah. It's been good.
0: Um, so
1: obviously, I've been talking about doing these shorter sessions recently, and I kept talking about doing like a three k or a fifteen hundred or these type of races, and I felt like I mentioned it multiple times on multiple episodes and I finally went out and did a 3k a week and a half ago now yeah and it was just as hard as anything I've ever done now I don't think we picked the best morning because conditions were not ideal I actually felt like they were okay when we warmed up but the humidity was 92 percent, which probably didn't help Ooh. us on that morning and we started our warm-up at about 4.55 in the morning so we're both half asleep but <laughs> Luke and I went to the, to the track at Griffith and thought, okay, we're going to do a 3K time trial, which we decided the day before. And both of us were going, okay, we've been doing these sessions, seven and a half laps, it's not that far, we'll be fine. Yeah. Warmed up, thought, oh, this will be all right. And you know when you have those warm-ups and you just don't feel amazing? Yeah, I had one of those warm-ups, but it's exactly how I felt before I did the half marathon what, a month ago or whenever that was. I was like, okay, I'll be okay. And we started off and Luke's plan was he wanted to try and run around 9.30. He wanted to try and break 9.30 um, and I wanted to try and break nine minutes. And I thought that was probably going to be a pretty big ask to try and do that. But I thought I may as well have a go because I'm doing this. So we went out hard. I I remember I looked down at the 1K mark and it had just ticked over three minutes exactly. So I thought, okay, 1K down. And that had already started to feel hard. And I thought, I've got five laps to go. This is going to be really difficult. And yeah. obviously, Luke and I were both running by ourselves. We were the only two there. And I reckon that last three and a half laps, I was so close to just stepping off the track and going, no, I'm done. <laughs> and I thought, no, I can't do that. I finished all these ultra marathons. I can't step off the track in the middle of a 3K. So yeah. I managed to, to hang on for the last few laps. I did 9.15 and Luke well, 915, 9.16 and Luke did 9.40. And right. I, I don't think I've sweat so much since the middle of last summer and it was just over nine minutes of work and I was absolutely stuffed at the end of that and I don't think I'll do
0: it again. But it's done, done a 3K and it was really hard. So do you, do you think the pace is closer to a 1500 pace or is it closer to a 5K pace when you're hitting 3K? Because obviously bang in the middle. like what makes What makes it tough? I think... It's just that awkward. It's
1: that awkward pace, and for me, because I don't do that much work at that pace. Like I've done a lot of work at five k pace, but I'm and obviously about fifteen hundred pace. But that in the middle pace, you don't often do much too much work there. And oh, for me, it was it. It ended up almost being five k pace yeah. in the end. It was a bit, probably a little bit too hard for the conditions in the first two and a half, three laps. And then I paid for it in the end and kind of just held on for 5K pace. Um, But if you'd asked me to do another 2K at the end of that, I definitely wouldn't have. So I don't think I paced it perfectly considering the conditions. I think I went out like it was really good conditions and it wasn't and I kind of just got found out a little bit there. So Mm -hmm. I reckon if I'd gone out, you know, maybe three or four seconds slower in that first kilometre, I probably would have held on a lot better.
0: But I still held on reasonably well. But, yeah, tough distance, really, really tough distance. And, and equally as well, like the two of you, although you did it together, the two of you are pretty much running individual time trials because you're, you know, twenty twenty five seconds apart, which is a fair amount on the track. So, like, if imagine if you were to do it again, you'd probably want a few runners who would all run together for two kilometers, and then it's just a case of who's got the most at the end for those last two and a, two and a half laps. Because, you know, running seven and a half laps on your own, that's tough. That's ridiculously tough. It, and it was interesting. We both
1: finished, and both of us said that we'd wished we'd done it on the road. And we yeah. both said we reckon we would have run faster on the road. And, I, again, I wore my next percent for those again. But I reckon at that pace, it's just an awkward pace where you, they're almost too soft. Like I almost wish I had spikes or flats to run in for that. You just almost feel like you're – for me, I run with a really high cadence and I just couldn't get my feet on and off the ground fast enough in those shoes to run that quick, which was yeah. kind of funny. But we both said if we were running on the road on that really hard surface, it probably would have felt easier. And I reckon we would have gone quicker. So. We yep. may have to do another 3K at some point on the road and compare. Well,
0: them. I'm going to be a bit hypocritical here. I know I did a 3K time trial earlier in the year on the road, but I would say if you post a 3K time trial on the road, you're probably going to get some Strava abuse because yes. surely surely anything short of five doesn't get done on the road. It's got to be – It's everything else is track, isn't know. it? I, well, it was, it's not so much – I'd be happy to do it on the track. Again. I just reckon that it felt like the road would
1: have been faster, and I probably won't yep. do one on the road. I'll say that yep. for a 5K, but yeah, I – I don't know, out of the races thing I've done this year, I've done a few more runs on the track now. And I don't, I don't know, for me, I don't find it that much quicker than yeah. running on the road, which is interesting. But that's yeah.
0: just something I've noted so far in the last few months. Well, there you go. You're really ticking it off. All you need to do now is a steeplechase, and I think you've pretty much done most of the events on the track. Can oh, you imagine you can, can you imagine doing doing steeplechase in the 3000 as well? No,
1: I can't. I actually, when we were doing the cool down, I kind of looked over and a couple of the steeples were sitting on the side of the track and I just thought, no, I don't even think I can get over that fresh, let alone in the middle of a 3K. So, no, I don't think I'll be doing that anytime soon. (laughs) But, no, that was my taste of track racing once again. But, yeah, doing it solo, I don't recommend it. That was quite
0: challenging. Well, you've got about five years before you become a Masters athlete. That's about 30-plus. So, that's when you can enter the Pen Packs Masters Games. You can do those things. You can do the 800, the 15... 3000 you can tick them all off but um oh, what else what else have you been doing what, what long runs? because obviously we've got gc50 coming up and that's that's yeah. a big focus now it so is what, a focus. Are, what, are you, what are your long runs been like
1: so last weekend i actually went out with a couple of runners out in the and we did this the 17k loop and it was really humid so that run almost turned into a bit of a session just because of how humid and tough it was at the time um but went out with Adzie Gordon, David Mainwaring, and Matt Fox from Sweat Elite. So the four of us went out there and had, went for a run. It was tough. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably one of the hardest runs I've done recently. It didn't look that impressive to look at it, but it was a tough run. Um, so that was last weekend. And then yesterday went out and did two hours on the road. Nothing too special, but just getting in time on my legs on the concrete. Yeah. So I'm always a little bit sore after running for a couple of hours on the on the road, but that was good. So I feel like I'm conditioned for the concrete at the moment, which is yeah. good because we've only got... What six weeks?
0: Five weeks? Not no, less five. than five. Five. It would be five. Yesterday, yeah, Uh so less than
1: five. So not too long to go till we're racing.
0: Yep, Monday the second here. So yeah, it's got to be just just over a month. Five so weeks. It's, it's, coming right. it's coming around quick. Coming around very very quick.
1: But yeah, we did. Other than that, yeah, mm-hmm. the other thing I've done, we did some some mile reps on the track. First time I've done yep. mile reps on the track. Well, yeah, you know, haven't done too many track sessions, and that was hard. That was really hard. I don't <laughs> know why we keep putting ourselves through this every Thursday morning. Luke, I'm just putting him through the ringer on these Thursdays. He yeah. doesn't enjoy it, and he doesn't really know what we're doing until we get there, and then I spring it on him, and he just has to he has to do
0: it. So it's been but good. See, it's been good to challenge ourselves and do something different. But see, that's the best thing. That's the best way you want to do a track session. There's nothing worse than riding your own track sessions because from the moment you get up to the moment you get to the track, you're talking yourself out of it. I know you've probably on the tri- the way to doing five one milers. You probably went through your head, I could do eight one k's here, or I could do. Maybe I'll, do, maybe I'll do three milers and chuck in a couple of 500s at the end. Whereas if, if you're not riding the session, you turn up and the guy goes five on miles, you go, okay, I've got to do it. I've got to yep. do it. I don't have time to, to do anything else. And so, that's how it went. I wrote
1: that session. And then I reckon I got to the third rep and thought, I'm going to rewrite this session. That was a terrible idea. We need to change yeah. this. But we stuck it out and got it done. So we were very yeah. happy to get that done. But no, it's been good. Other than that's that, great. it's just been some consistent running. Moving along, run down under. I'm still yep. ticking along. Yeah. Oh, I'm. The chances of me finishing this year are slowly creeping away, but I just need to stay consistent, and I reckon I might get there. So that's my cool. other bit of motivation at the moment.
0: What well, you, you told me the other day. What do you need? Is it 90 something kilometers a week? I think I'm about 96 kilometers a week. Which again, when I'm in full
1: training for ultras, I'm doing well and truly more than that. But at the moment, I have not been running more than that. I've been probably hitting 80 to 90, 75 yeah. to 90 probably. So. It's going to be a very tight finish,
0: so see, we'll that's, see. We'll that's, see. Just, that's just getting out of hand, isn't it? It's just creeping up a little bit. Like you said, if it was 80, 85, you could, start, you could chuck in a big week and keep it under control. But to put in 90-odd, 90 92, 93, when you've, you're you training for a shortish event at 25K, that's that's starting to get low. But I've,
1: got no, I've got no excuse because I'm, I've got the time to probably run a little bit more than I am at the moment. I'm just enjoying running the volume I am, but at the same time, it would be nice to finish before New Year's Eve. So I'm going to just leave – I'm just leaving my run as late as possible. I don't mean yeah. if – it'll probably get up over 100Ks. And I'm just going to have to put in a couple of big Ks, big weeks around Christmas. Yeah. So yeah, exciting
0: times ahead. But no, That's and how's good. your training
1: been going? How are you feeling for the relay?
0: Good. So Thursdays at the moment i have just really just – actually, my Tuesdays at the moment, I'm doing Tuesday, Thursday, um, Saturday are kind of my three workouts. And probably not every week, but every – second week i kind of dropped the tuesday um so tuesday's a bit shorter quicker stuff like 60 second intervals like you know 10 or 12 of them 1 minute on 1 minute off um but my thursday's becoming like a race pace uh tempo just for half an hour 28 to 30 minutes at race pace and that's been good because i've been able to now drop that a little bit lower and bring the time down a bit quicker than i thought so that's really good um so that's been going great but the weekend oh i did a 25k on the weekend um, and it was basically five lots of five K's, you know with the second part and the fourth part being at race pace. And the first one I did first one I did perfectly. absolutely nailed it. Yep. Did, did great on that one. Um, we had a little bit of a tailwind for it, which was nice as well, but it was I don't yeah it was humid. It was really, really hot. Yeah, um, and then by the second one came around, like I was I was just overcooking, just so, so hot. By well, that stage of taken the singlet off for the first time this summer and had wrung the singlet out and just taken all the sweat out of it because I really sweat quite badly. And so I had to make that call for the second one. So you're running from 15 to 20K in the second five. And I thought, how hard do I push this? Like I want to back up again this week and I want to go again and do you know, two or three good sessions this week. So I ended up deciding to pull that um, that second 5K back by about five to ten seconds. So instead of running four minute pace for those, I pulled it back to like four oh six, four ten, um, and just made sure I could consistently hit it and get through five of them. Because again, like you were saying before, like I was saying with the track, I started talking myself into it and out of it a bit. You know, when I was doing the the middle five, I was actually thinking, maybe I do th- Do I do three k at four minute pace? Do I do four k? You know, I was just coming up with all these different scenarios, and I thought, you know what, the session is to do five k. I've listened to all these coaches and all these good runners who say run to the conditions, like forget pace, forget all that, go on perceived effort. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to hit that perceived effort on the head. It's going to feel exactly like the previous 5K did. And whatever time that is, that's fine. So I built into that 5K and just went on perceived effort and actually started to get better and better. You know, the first two or 3K were a bit slower. They were 410, 411. But then the last two were 405, 406. So I actually sort of built into it. So it was great. So I think that's the
1: perfect way to run it. Like you did that perfectly. That's one thing I've been really making sure everyone that, you know, the couple that I'm coaching at the moment is just it's about spending a certain amount of time at a certain effort. And that's going to vary day to day depending on what the conditions are like, how much sleep you've got, are you fueled and ready for the session, hydrated, all these different things. At the end of the day it doesn't really matter what the pace is the pace is there like a lot of people have programs and things where they'll have a session where they're supposed to run a certain amount of time at a certain pace. That's a it's still going to be a bit of a guide. Now if conditions yeah. are terrible and it's super hot, you've got to be able to adjust to that. Like if you know what that effort would feel like if conditions were good, that's how it should feel regardless of what that pace is. I still think a lot of people get to this kind of October, November time of year, humidity picks up, gets hot, and they're still trying to hit the same pace as they were hitting Three yeah. four months ago, when it was cold, and they're wondering why they can't. They're getting yeah. themselves fatigued. They can't finish sessions, and they just dig themselves into a hole. So that's a bit of a good takeaway. And obviously, he did that perfectly on the weekend. It's just, yeah, it's about spending time at the same effort that it should feel like if it was colder.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 like still difficult in training to do it because you obviously want to hit, you know, I guess times and things like that. But like you said, you have to go and perceived effort. And I guess training is a bit easier in some ways. Like, the challenge would be if we get to December, whatever it is, the 5th or 6th or whatever the date is for GC50, um, if we get to that day and it's 85% humidity, that's when it really becomes a challenge because you have to – got to leave your ego on the start line, don't you, and go, well, you know what? I have to bring this back 10 seconds, okay? Otherwise, I'm going to i am gonna be out by, you know, 13, 14K into it. So um, – so, yeah, it was a good takeaway. It was a really good sort of coaching moment for myself and learning moment to go, you know what, I've got to be sensible here. I've got to listen to what people say and the advice that you get from good runners and listen to people who say, you know, you want to be able to back up and go a week later. You want to be able to do your Thursday session, you know, five days later. You don't want to be, you know, a mess and, and fatigued and, and, and not recovering because you went too hard in training. So, um, yeah, I mean, as I said, I overheat badly in the when it gets really hot and really humid, but... Um, yeah, uh, pretty good, pretty good, pretty happy with the, with, with it. Uh, with all told, but uh, it'll be the same for the next couple of weeks for me. Some longer runs like that, some some efforts, just trying to dial in that race pace, just trying to hit it. Because I was talking to, um, I think I was talking to Jack Gill about it, and we were saying if if you run a half marathon, twenty one k, it seems so much shorter than twenty five. Twenty five just seems to have taken it into a different, like a different zone, like a different work zone. Like twenty one, you feel that you can. I don't know. You just—I just feel you can just gamble a bit more, and you can go hard. And twenty-five, it just feels—it's only four k longer. Like it's what sixteen minutes. It's nothing. It's—it's—it's barely anything anymore. But for some reason, it just feels like it's going to be that much tougher and that much more difficult. So I um,
1: agree, and I think, but I think you can use that to your advantage as well. In that, it is longer than half marathon. You don't have to run at half marathon pace. It is going to be a bit slower than half marathon pace. Whereas you know people aren't expecting you to run half marathon pace for this twenty-five k. So you can almost. It's almost a little, it's, you know, you could almost run 20, like half marathon pace, but you don't have to because it's 25. So in that sense, yeah. you can kind of, it's probably easier to pace it because you know you've got to go slower than half marathon pace. So in that sense, it's probably a nice distance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But uh, but let's move on. But I, I did say at the start there has been no racing, but I, I tell a lie, there has been one massive race around the world which we're <laughs> going to talk about, and that was the Biggs Global Backyard Ultra. So this just captivated us, didn't it, for for days as it turned out to be. I didn't think it would get this 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 long, but it just kept going and going and going and what a what an amazing thing to experience and just to watch through the different countries as they dropped out and the ones that stayed in and the ones that you thought were going to drop out and then they didn't like the Mexicans. How good were they? They were they were incredible. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It was so good to watch. Um and and like I didn't understand the scoring system at the very beginning, but you explained it to me about, you know, the the points and the things adding up, but um yeah, let's uh let's go through some of the results. Were you surprised to see Belgium take out the victory, Kyle? Uh
1: Yeah, I think I was I was surprised. Well, it's hard because like you said, the way that the points worked is I suppose just so if people don't know what we're talking about. One you've heard us talk about backyard ultras before. It's a 6.7 kilometer loop. You run it at the, you start at the start of every hour. You can run it as fast or as slow as you want, and then you have to be ready to go on the start line again at the start of the next hour. And it just yep. keeps going until there's only well two people left in your race. Once there's one, you can't keep going. You finish. So the way that this worked is each country had 15 runners. They all started at the exact same time globally. So the Australians started at 10 p.m. on the Saturday night. You know the Americans started about dawn at their time on the Saturday. Um, so it was a bit all over the place for everyone. But because every single runner's lap total counted to the team's total, even mm-hmm. your 15th place runner, all of their laps counted. So it was who had the strongest overall team, not necessarily who would go the longest. Obviously, the teams that go the longer you know, are going to do well. But if you've got 13 of your runners drop out really early and two of them run and we end up winning it, your team's probably not going to do that well. Yeah. Um, so it was really hard to pick because you kind of had to know every single person that was in the team. Um, but... Obviously, the last two from Belgium, they're both really well-known through hikers and long-distance ultra-marathon runners and have a lot of pedigree under their belt. So they were always going to go for a long time. Um, But obviously, the Americans had a really good team. We obviously know more of their names. The Canadians had a good team, um, but they probably didn't go to the level they wanted to go to. Um, And then there's a few of the other European countries that just have these people that no one really know about, but are just incredible athletes that just seem to be able to go and go and go. So (laughs) it was always going to be interesting to watch. And I didn't
0: really have a clue who was going to win. So that was kind of more exciting to watch um and and you're right like i think the reason belgium did so strong overall i mean obviously with the two guys who who went for most of the most of the competition but if you looked at their third fourth fifth sixth seventh runner they were they were logging some big laps as well um because i think at one stage when it was just america and belgium left a couple of the comments on the forum said well there's no chance of america even winning and I hadn't, even, I hadn't even considered the team laps at that stage. I was just thinking the overall, you know, the, the last person standing. So um, because America's obviously dropped out earlier, you know, their runners towards the start, um, they really had no chance of out- Even if Courtney DeWalter and the other guy, even if they outlasted the Belgians, they weren't actually going to win it. But um, let's go through some Australian results here. So uh, we'll just go through our sort of our, our top five or ten here. Uh, so Chris Murphy, 46 laps. Uh, Incredible. And Barry Loveday, 45 laps as well. That was wonderful to see. Barry looked erect, didn't he, at the end? I mean, the poor fellow. He fella. looked erect
1: for probably the last 12 hours. Like, I watched it most of that day on that Monday. I was keeping yeah. track of them. And he, he dug really deep, but he just kept going and going and churning out these laps. It was, it was really impressive
0: to watch. Um, I can't – can you remember – do you remember the name that Lazarus Lake gives to the second runner? Is it the support runner or the, the – I can't remember what he says. Um, but what he, he kept referring to them as something. Uh um, um, the – I feel like I've got this on the tip of my tongue. Keep talking because I'll think. Yeah. It. And it's, so it's interesting to see what happens in these last one standings, how how far the top two go ahead of third place. You know, yeah. whether once third drops, whether the other two drop pretty quickly. But Chris and Barry, they did 15 laps together on their own. You know, they went another third of a distance that Ryan Crawford. Ryan Crawford was third for Australia, 30 laps. John Pearson, 26. Mark Taylor, 26. Neil McNeil, 25. And Nolas Rayle 25 as well um so if you look at chris murphy and barry loveday like the two of them have gone 15 hours just on their own and we've talked a bit about in the past about how you you get that very strange bond don't you between the the final two and it would have been even stranger in this one because they really need each other to hang in whereas if it's a standalone event you know you you want the other guy to keep going but if if she drops or he drops then you win the day but um yeah, it's a very, very strange, strange race, but absolutely wonderful. And then we had Cam Munro, 24 laps, Greg Ponge, 24, oh Guy Schweitzer, 24, Mick Thwaite, 22, Jody Oberon, 21, Suzanne Chatterton, 18, Kerry Bremner, 17, Lisa Spink, 17, Susanna Harvey Jamison, 15, and Chris Ryan, 14, for a total of 419 laps, which was just short of 3,000 kilometers so, for 15 Incredible. people. Incredible. So.
1: <laughs> It's a lot of kilometers, isn't it?
0: And the yeah. other exciting
1: thing was there is that from pretty much the whole time the Kiwis were ahead of us for pretty much the entire race. Yeah. And it was only I think it was right I think it was just maybe our forty two or forty three, the two that were still going, just passed them. So we just got ahead of New Zealand. Yeah. yeah. And that happened right around the time that they smashed us in the low. So it was nice to get at least <laughs> one one victory over them that weekend.
0: And of course the Norwegian guy, Carol Carol Saba, wasn't it? I think it was pretty how you yeah. pronounce it. His uh his name. Um, I've got a little bit of a, a picture here from on the Bigs Backyard um, Ultra Run Group, which was of course the forum most people are on. It says he ran his first marathon in two thousand and fourteen, and there's actually a, there's actually a steep hill in Belgium uh, named after him now because that's where he does all these workouts. So, <laughs> and did you see the um? Did you? See, it's one of the greatest memes or the greatest pictures I've ever seen in my entire life. Did you see that one of the nine photos of Carol? It's the same photo. Him just like after fifty miles, after a hundred miles, after the exact same. Because what was his total? What was his total lapse? Was it 60? five? Seventy five. 75?
1: Jeez. Yeah, so three days and three hours. So I think it's about five hundred and two kilometers, or five hundred and three kilometers, just to tick yeah. over five hundred kilometers in just over three days. It's
0: it's it's mind-boggling, isn't it? It's and it he yeah. had a smile the whole time, didn't he? And he was he was chatting through his um. You know, through the the live posts he was giving and things like that, so absolutely incredible. Um, and where did Australia finish? In what was our final spot? Do You know, oh, I, don't know. I can't remember off the top of my
1: head. I think we were down around twelfth or thirteenth. I think you have to yep. check that out of the yep. twenty one countries that entered. So they did well. Like it was hard. So obviously, some of the countries, like I remember, I'm pretty sure every runner in Spain went for at least twenty four hours plus. So you know, when you've got a country where pretty much everyone's going over a hundred miles it makes a massive difference because if, you know, if a country gets to 24 hours and they've only got six runners left, but a country's still got 15, then they're getting nine more points per lap, per hour. So the gap grows really quickly. So, yeah. you know, that's why exactly every single person counts. So it's, you know, even if someone's coming last and they're about to drop out, if they can hang in for another lap, it's still
0: another point for their country, which is really yeah. cool. That
1: oh, it's not just, the, not just that's, the winner.
0: All, that's awesome, isn't it? And that, that takes on a, that gives the whole competition a completely different, you know, aspect to it. Yes, you've got the individual race, but... The real team effort comes into it, and that's something. Which, I mean, I, I hope he does this every single year. I really do. Um, you know, I hope it's something which you know, out of this, out of the lockdowns and the the travel restrictions, that something like this will come out because it really did captivate the running world. And I said, Kyle, just before we started recording, I I took a screenshot of a of a it could be a poem that Lazarus Lake, who of course is the organizer, um, that he put up. But I think it was in response to just this overwhelming awe that runners had around the world of what these guys and girls actually achieved. And I think Lazarus was kind of saying, you know what, they are great. They are achieving great things, but don't compare yourself to, to these people at all, you know, just focus on what you do and and set yourself your own limits and, and your own achievements and things like that. Because I think we can get swept away in the achievements of others a little bit um, and we, we don't really, like you said, the, these people are well-known around their country and their world and and their names pop up and you think that they haven't been doing this for a while, but they they could have 25 years of ultra running behind them, you know, and for someone who's just started trail running or just started their own, you know, first five or 10 K, it can be very, very intimidating and very daunting. So he wrote this called be your own hero and I'm just going to read it out. It says it's easy to be intimidated by the distances covered by the elite backyard runners to think that this is a race beyond your reach. Nothing could be further from the truth. The heart of the backyard ultras is not the race that goes on for days. It's the race that ends in 20 to 30 hours. And the soul of the sport is not the 60-hour runners. It is every person who steps into the starting corral in a search for their own limits. It does not matter how far you go. The furthest you have ever gone is the furthest you've ever gone. Be inspired by these amazing athletes, but don't be inspired to just admire their accomplishments. Be inspired to go out and seek your own limits. Be inspired to go out and go further than you have ever gone before, and be your own hero. Like he, it's just a legend, isn't he? Like he, good, it? He, oh, he, he, cap- he, captures, like you, yeah, he, he captures what the essence of it is all about. And he's right. Like the, the soul of the sport isn't the guys and girls at the top end. It's it's every single person who's out there. And I get that feeling when you watch marathon running as well. When you when you're standing on the side of a marathon and yeah, you're amazed at what the people do who are coming in the low two hours, but then you, you cast your eye to the middle of the pack and then further back to the six-hour runners and you go, that's a different sport. Like, these are, the, these are the ones that you should be in awe of. They're out there, you know, three times longer. They're battling the pavement for, for you know, four hours longer than some of the pros are. And, you know, those are the ones that deserve a huge amount of admiration as well. Um, and I've always said, you know, when, when I run PBs, it's the easiest race i ever run in my life when i run a 5k pb or a marathon pb because everything's going in control and everything's fine but it's the days when it goes pear-shaped and it it falls apart and it's the days when it's a slog they're the ones that you kind of remember i I think lazarus lake he just he just sums up what running is all about um in that sort of write-up that he's done but it got me thinking kyle the name lazarus lake of course is his trail name Uh, Gary, gary cantrell is his real name isn't it is that right yes that's right what is, what is it? What is it about trail names? And you ha- you have one, but you said you've kind of shelved it in the last few years.
1: No. Well, I, it's one of, I think it's it's quite popular with a lot of, like, people who do through hikes and long long hikes, you know, they, when they're out there doing a trail yeah. that might take them a month to do or two months to do where they're kind of fast-packing through it, those sort of things. It's become a thing where people take on, like, a almost an alter ego like this other persona they take on this trail name and often it's given to them by other people who are on the trail with them so people get all kinds of you know different names and things as well um but again i started getting so this was years ago like when i first started running back when i was a teenager and i ran with a lot of the guys that i still run with now and obviously we all ran things like the goat loop and everything like that and they all started calling me baby goat which at the time i thought okay that's all right because i'm way younger than all of these guys (laughs) But it's got to the point now where I'm no longer the youngest one running around by quite yeah. a way, and there's a lot of young people running around. But they, that name still can, seems to pop up, so I'll be interested to see how long that lasts for. Because it'll be quite funny if they keep calling me that for another 20 years. But I'll take it if they want to keep calling me that. I'll take well, it. Well,
0: if if you remember the cricket, the War brothers, Stephen, Mark War, Mark War was called Junior, wasn't he, for <laughs> his entire career? So I don't think you're going to shelve this at all. But um, and like, do you know of any other trial names that people have got, or is this more of an American European thing? Because I, I was oh. I'm reading um. Scott Durack's book, North, all about the, the trail that he does. Um, and he, he's talking about the people who come and run with him. They've all got trail names and his wife's got a trail name. Is this an American-Europe thing? Or
1: Yeah, I know it is a very American-Europe thing. Like I don't know too many others over here, but probably another famous one that people would probably indirectly know is Carl um, Meltzer, who's known as the Speed Goat, who's the yep. guy that designed the Speed Goat shoe that Hoka, that a lot of people probably run in, don't realise where that shoe came from. Um, so he's... He has – I can't remember. He's. I think he's got the record for the most 100-mile wins ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's some extraordinary number that he's won because he started so long ago and he's won most of them. Um, but, yeah, he's the guy that came up with the helped design the Speedgo shoot for Hoka um, and runs in that shoot, and that's his trail name. And do they? Do they do most of them take
0: on animal sort
1: of personas or is that just – Not necessarily. Anything- like there can be anything. Um, I don't. Like, Again, yeah, it's a. It is a very American thing, as far as I know, because well, the other thing is we don't have many long trails where people are out there long enough to, to pick up these names. And it's probably not enough people doing it. Um, but there's some really famous trails in America where it kind of, it's known that people do this when they get on the trail. Um, so that's just kind of caught on and, and built from there. But I don't know. Maybe it will be a thing over here. I think we need to start. I, I think so, we need
0: we need to start attributing names to people that we run with, uh, and just see how it sticks. You, you could, yeah, could yeah, do it could be. You could offend quite a few people, couldn't you? Because you Absolutely, room, it could be so quite fun. fun yeah. Like, do, do you reckon you have a right of denial to say, "I'm not taking that. That's ridiculous. That is a stupid name." Oh, I, I, didn't get, I didn't get that when mine came up. So, <laughs> like, if you if you call someone like the rabbit or the ferret or something, or just like I don't <laughs> know, the, two, the toucan, like, does it? Can do you just go, "No, I'm not having that. That's ridiculous." It could, but it'll probably stick anyway. So, <laughs> I, probably, I think, yeah, maybe it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, the more you push against the name, people will just take it on and exactly just go. No, right. That's what that's what yours is. But um, <laughs> now, while we're talking about the bigs uh, yes. backyard ultra, we have we've the group that kind of we run with on a Wednesday morning. Famously, a few years ago, Travis Island, who does run down under, when we when we talked about the last one standing as they started to gain popularity. He famously said one morning, didn't he? He goes, 6.7 Ks in an hour. How hard can that be? And we've, <laughs> we've reminded him of it ever, ever since. And it's only obviously now that we follow them a bit more that he suddenly realized how hard it actually is. But we've come up with a bit of an idea, haven't we? So run us, run us through it.
1: Well, and – this kind of I think we both I think we both probably thought of this by ourselves and then said it to each other at the same time that we'd come up with this idea. But after watching that World Championship one for a couple of days, which I'd really enjoyed watching, it was really cool. I just in my head, it's intrigued me. And we've talked about these races for since we started the podcast, literally episode mm-hmm. one, that it intrigues us this type of racing. So we both said to each other, Why don't we try one? But we'll just do it as say a twelve hour initially, put a time limit on it, but yep. we'll race it like a last man standing where we do six point seven Ks stop, and then we go on the next hour just to see what it's like for that initial period. Yeah. So, and pretty much everyone that we've said it to initially have jumped at the idea and thought, yeah, we'll jump in and do that as well. So, we're going to do it at the end of the year. doesn't help that it's going to be the middle of summer and we're going to go through the middle of the day, so it's going to be really hot. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited because kind of like we all laugh when Trav said it, but in my head as well, I've kind of got the same thought of going, oh, can't be that hard. Yeah, 6. we're all This 12-hour, like just for 12 hours, I'm like, it's 80Ks in 12 hours with some rest. We'll be right. It's flat. So I don't know. I think I'll be very – the thing I'm interested the most in is what do I feel like when we finish 12 hours? Do I finish going, yeah, I'd be ready to go through the night. If I had to go here, I could definitely keep going. Or do I finish going, oh, that was the longest day ever.
0: I'm done. There's no way I'm doing another lap. So that's kind of what I'm most excited for. Because if you think about it, let's say you come in on – just for the sake of ease, let's round it to forty-five minutes. You get, you get a quarter of an hour every single lap. That means we're gonna have three hours, aren't we? Yep, three hours of nothing time, downtime, and that's a that's a long time, isn't it? Yeah, to, that's extra time that that you know, like you said, if you were to go and do eighty k's and just run it, walk it, run it, walk it, run it, walk it, you get through it quite easily um you probably get through it in in eight hours so you've you've you're out there for four hours longer aren't you which means you're physically out there and you're not going to be sitting in the sun but you're out there in actually in the event which which takes energy out of you and we've all said the same thing again to this idea how hard can it be and we're going to find out (laughs) one way to find out (laughs) i'm sure it'll be very very difficult we've also put a, a a limit haven't we on it we've said there is no ego games in this at all i don't care how good you're feeling. You are not going out for a thirteenth. No one is to go out for a thirteenth lap because that would just, just destroy the idea of it. So um, but, yeah. I don't think there'll be many
1: of us chasing someone down to stop them if they start if they start running a thirteenth lap.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. But um, yeah, so that's gonna be coming up. What um um what I wanted to ask you, Kyle, was I had a bit of a chat a few a few weeks ago with one of the workers at the Nike store at Harvardtown. And they were talking yep. about the new shoes, the, the well the new shoes in the last couple of years, the, the plates that they've got in them. And this runner, who I know quite well, he said that some of his teammates have been getting injuries, but not injuries in their calves or their quads, but further up, are kind of around their hips um, and the top of their hamstrings and things like that. And it, it got me interested, and I'd love to know from you, as a physio, have you seen a shift in injuries with these shoes? Can you have you got a bit of an insight? Can you tell us a little bit about why injuries might be occurring in different places with these with these uh, you know plated shoes?
1: It's an interesting one. Like there's definitely not enough research out there and they haven't been around for long enough for people to have actually studied them to put anything definitive in place. So this is just, I suppose, me going off what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, I'm running in them as well. Um, The studies that have come out have kind of shown that if you're running in a carbon-plated shoe, the load on your what we call MTP joints, the joint between your foot bone and your toe bone, the loads there are a lot higher, um, which is interesting because then, like you said, people are reporting they're getting a lot of injuries further up the chain, kind of knee and hip. I almost would put it down to the fact that people are doing a lot more in these shoes than they would have previously. Because the shoes are so cushioned, you pull up so well. People are doing harder sessions and harder runs in them as well, and I think that's a big part of it is that people are able to do more fast running and more regular hard running in these shoes because they're pulling up so well. And I think that's a little part of it. And, again, that's just me kind of hypothesizing what I think could be going on because the loads are different. Um, But at the end of the day, with any injury, it's going to come down to how quick you transition from one type of shoe to another. If you're used to running in one particular shoe all the time, and all of a sudden you go into a completely different shoe and start using it all the time, the load's going to shift in your body. And you know it doesn't really matter where that load shifts to. The load when you run is the same. It's just going to go to a different part of your body. So if you change something really suddenly, yeah, absolutely. There's going to be other tissues that get loaded all of a sudden that haven't been loaded before. and exactly right there's going to be injuries that are going to pop up because you're not used to that like an example that most people that are listening to this and probably know is there was i'd say there'd be at least a few people listening to this that went through the barefoot running phase that still do that and run that and if it's done properly you can do it and it's not an issue but it's the people who go from normal shoes to a barefoot shoe really quickly and do all their running in it and then end up with you know stress fractures in their feet Achilles issues, calf issues constantly. And the only reason they're getting those straight away is because the loads change so quickly. It's not that the loads change, it's how quickly it changed. And I think the same thing's happening the opposite way with these really maximalist cushioned shoes and obviously the ones with the plate, um, that people are just transitioning transitioning to them really quickly because of all the marketing and PR that's around them. They just, you know, they advertise as this magic shoe that's going to make you fast. So everyone's in them and running in them all the time. If you don't transition properly... You're going to get issues, and I think the ones at the upper end, they're just able to train probably more. They're pulling up better, and as a result, you're probably getting more confidence to do harder sessions in them, longer sessions in them at the same time. Yeah. Um, but again, it, you can you can get your body to adapt to any type of shoe. You just got to give it the right amount of time.
0: So, so what's your shoe rotation? How many shoes have you got? And let's just say of a standard week, seven days. What what are you? Yeah, what are you training in? Um, For what reason? I've I've probably like I've. Uh,
1: I've probably got 20 pairs of shoes at the moment that I could rotate between if I wanted to, and I've just accumulated those. And I'm someone who's always transitioned between shoes quite a lot. Um, yeah. I, so if I run you through my week that I normally do, so say the runs I would normally do, i take yeah. the group out on a trail run on a Monday morning, and I've got a pair of North Face trail shoes, just ultra endurance that I've had for a long time, but I only wear them on that Monday morning run. If I do another run on a Monday that's a really easy, slow jog trail, I've got another pair of North Face Endurance, different trail shoe, a bit softer. Um, or if I'm running a really easy, short road run, I've got a pair of Nike Flyknit Epics, which are a really soft shoe that I don't like running in for more than probably 8 or 10 kilometres, but they're really nice for a super easy recovery run. Yep. Then it comes to fast shoes. I've probably got four different pairs of shoes that I'll rotate between when it comes to workouts, and that purely depends on what type of workout I'm doing. So if I'm doing if I'm doing a really hard session or a time trial or anything, I've obviously got the next percent there, but I don't wear them that often. Um, I've got another pair of carbon-plated shoes, which aren't quite as good as those, but I'll use those. I've got flats, and I've got another pair of um, shoes that have a nylon plate in them as well. And I'll rotate between those four. So I, you know, any workout, I'll be in a completely different shoe. And then the shoe I'm probably using for the majority of my runs at the moment, I've got the Pegasus 37, which I'm really, really enjoying. Um, it's a nice hybrid between the old Stiffer Pegasus and the Pegasus Turbo, which was a bit softer. Um, so I'm probably doing my long runs in that at the moment and some of my base mileage, but then I've got a couple of other shoes that I'll just use for low mileage, just easy running at the same time. But I also use that just to vary the load up a little bit. Like I, for me, I can't run in the same shoe every single day. I've always run in different shoes and mix that up. And I think, you know, that's one part of the reason why. Generally I don't get too many niggles and things as well. Um, I'm really good with my load management, watching how much I'm doing, but I have that variability in my yeah. terrain that I run on, heels, flat, speed, different shoes. Like I do mix it up the right amount, which tends to help. Um, but there's other people that just, you know, they're just in the position where they're going, oh, I've only got two or three pairs of shoes, and that's absolutely fine. Um, you just gotta use the right shoe at the right time and know when a certain shoes probably not beneficial for you like if you've if you've done a big long run the day before and you're really fatigued and tired and you go into a really minimalist shoe or a fast shoe that's not giving you that much support and you're just going out for a longer run well yeah you're probably more likely to have excess load on a certain tissue that's going to get sore so for me yeah. on those days i use a bit more of a supportive stiffer shoe even though they don't feel fast i know that i'm getting that little bit more support and cushion that i need for those you know recovery days whereas people tend to just stick
0: with a shoe that they like and they wear it for every single run they do. Yeah, um, This yeah. is what yeah. I was going was, I was to ask. I mean, finances aside and things like that, I know obviously the shoe industry is quite expensive for a lot of people, but we are blessed here on the coast to have, you know, you know, Harbour Town where we have quite a few running stores in there that sell shoes at discounted rates. So if we have a few more shoes and we rotate through those, are you saying there's less chance that we're going to get injured? So let's say, for example, then we bring another shoe in like like a Nike or like a Siccone or something like that. If we've been rotating through a variability of other shoes and we bring in a carbon-plated shoe, is there less chance we're going to get injured because we've been running in different shoes for a longer period of time? Not necessarily. Like that's a small part of it. And, yeah, it plays a small part,
1: but you could have the perfect, you know, brand-new shoes all the time, rotate between a different shoe every run, have the perfect shoe selection, but just go and do way too long of a run one day or too big of a week and spike, you can have the best shoes in the world. You're probably going to pick up an injury. So yeah. load management is the number one thing when it comes to to injuries and trying, you know, you can't, I always say that people, we can't prevent injuries, but you can minimize your risk of getting them. And there's yeah. a whole lot of different things you can do to do that. But load management, if you're running number one, is the biggest thing you can do. And the thing that probably a lot of people that are listening would be interested in is, Most people, when they think about their running load or running volume, it's all in either hours or kilometres. That's all people tend to think about. No one really looks at – I always get people to look at their elevation change, especially the trail runners, and I'm in that unique position where I get to see a lot of trail runners in the clinic as well, um, whereas not many other people do, and I always get them to look at their elevation change, and you can do it on Strava. I've said this on here before, Mm. to go and have a look at it, but that's load on certain tissues. When you run uphill – the load will go to a different area. And all of a sudden, if you've gone from 500 metres elevation gain a week to 2,000, but you've done the exact same amount of time and distance for that week and you think you're doing the same thing, people then wonder why they pick up injuries. But if you go back and look through it, you'll find what you've done that's that's changed. And whether that's changing elevation, changing speed, volume, or shoes or gear, all of those things are going to play a part. So if you've just got one part of those perfect but the rest of them are terrible, you're still going to probably pick up an injury. It yeah. is hard to manage it all, but you can just – try to do your best to get all of those in line and minimize the risk as best you can but shoes are just one part of it
0: yeah absolutely i mean it's it's a minefield isn't it the shoes you know so many brands out there and so many models and so many styles within the models like it's i guess you just got to talk to your your running circle don't you you got to figure out what works for you guys and and that's right and i guess just listen to your own body isn't it like if you're feeling sore as you said if you're feeling sore from a longer run, you've got to think about the shoe that potentially I might have to wear the next day or the terrain that I run on the next day. Um, the, the run that we did this morning with the, your group at the MyGC Physio is a is a beautiful run for me to do on a Monday morning because it's so casual and so slow and there's a little bit of walking in it and it's a very slow jogging pace and it's just, it's the perfect way to start the week when on the Saturday, you know, it's only 48 hours ago, but for me, that's still quite close um, to do quite an intense workout and I didn't really want to go hard. So I've got, I think I've got what, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I've got three days between, you know, tougher sessions. My next tough session comes around on Tuesday. So, um, yeah, look, some great tips there from you, um, which leads me on to another little um, thing that I found up on when I was just trawling through Facebook and things um, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, one of my uh, athletes that I followed, I think, through the Billy Yang series of movies that came out was Sally McRae. She's run for Nike, for the Nike trail team. She's been out here to UTA, I think, at least once, maybe more than that. Um, but her name, she goes by the Yellow Runner. Uh, not too sure why. That's the name. But anyway, that's the name. Do you know? Do you know? Is that a trail name? It could, it, could it could be a could. trail name. I know she likes colour yellow. She used to always wear yellow all the time, so it's probably something to do with that. But she um, – Sally just put a few things up there. And just listening to your pro tips there, I guess, about shoes and about terrain, she – uh back on October twenty fourth she put up some pro tips which I thought were interesting and I just want to run them by you to see what you think. Um she said, Right, get strong, first of all, carry a heavier pack, which I've had a few friends do that when I've done hill reps with them. They take on more water, even though they're not gonna drink it. They just take more weight. Um lift heavy, do hill repeats. Uh don't underestimate push ups, she said there. Um yeah. do a very mountain running specific and trail running specific, but absolutely. Do 10 to 15-second
1: all-out max efforts on the track. I agree, but you've got to be very careful with
0: that at yep. the same time. <laughs> yep, I like that. Strides, we'll call them strides, not all-out, right. but 80 to 90% efforts. Yep, useful. So so So, there is. So th- what I'm hearing here, there's an asterisk behind each of these, isn't there, which you have to take note yep. of. Don't. Don't,
1: I would say to someone, don't listen to this list, and if you're doing none of them, don't do all of them at once in yep. the next week because it yep. won't end
0: well. She said, uh, add a double day to your week. Uh, learn basic Pilates and do it often. Um, wear three to four layers instead of one, which would be very tough at this time of year, but maybe that's a winter thing that we can do. Um, set your treadmill to have a little bit of an incline. Um, uh, do one more rep or do one more mile than you thought you were going to do. Um, and she said that, here, with that one too. Yeah. She said here at the bottom, there's a bit of a caveat at the bottom. She says, my point is just because your race is cancelled doesn't mean your plans are thwarted. Um, You can always work on strength, both physically and mentally. Don't cheat yourself in this time of uncertainty. Get your heart rate up. So as you said there, there is is a big asterisk behind some of those, but it's just I found it interesting to hear none of those things are big things, are they? I guess when you hear good runners talk about one percenters. You know, if that's a one percent that they're putting in there, if they are just, you know, carrying an extra liter of water instead of, you know, taking two liters, they're carrying three liters when they go on their trial run. That's, you know, that's a little thing that maybe amateurs don't do. Or, like you said, those ten to fifteen second strides at the end of a of a track session, things like that. Have you got anything that you would put in for little one percent things that people can do?
1: Oh, uh, I <laughs> well, see. It's funny. Most people, when they think of all the little one percent things, it's one percent extra things that you do whereas for me i feel like i've got to the point where my little one percenters that i do that keep me running consistently is i'll often probably go one percent back on things i will back off on certain things like you do the extra things but i'd almost say as far as doing the extra mile and doing the extra kilometer if you feel like you should be doing 20 kilometers on a run do 19 those type of little things that you everyone always overestimates how they're going to do in training and pushes themselves just that little bit too far because they think, I've got to hurt on this session. This has got to hurt. I've got to hurt to be getting benefits from it. And they always push themselves too hard. You've got to think longer term with your training. And if you're training at 80% all year round, I can guarantee that you're going to be fitter than someone who trains at 100% for six weeks at a time, gets injured for a couple of weeks and then backs it up again. Yeah, their training looks really impressive while they're doing it. But in the long run, you'll end up fitter than them by training at 80, 90%, which is exactly what I'm doing at the moment. You know, I'm running less volume than I could run and I normally run. But I'm feeling good, I'm feeling fresh, I'm not getting sore, I'm not getting niggles because I'm actually holding myself back a little bit more and listening to my body, Like that's the big thing. The biggest thing, which you probably didn't touch on there, but like get good sleep. If you get good sleep around your training, it makes such a difference. Drink lots of water during the day, stay hydrated and get good sleep. If you can do those two things well, you'll go a long way to feeling good around your training. If you do those and then listen to your body in training, people will be amazed at the results you can get.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think I've made the mistake enough in the past to, like you said, add too many of these things that you read that the pros are doing. I you know, when I when I read these and when I look at them, I it's more for curiosity for me than anything yeah. that I'm actually going to implement. But I I kind of look here as well and go, Well, is there anything that I am doing that they're also doing that, you know, sort of underlines the reason why I'm doing it? And, you know, I do occasionally run in long, you know, a long jacket when I don't need to. Um yep. I have picked up carrying a little bit of extra weight you know, in, in, in terms of water when I've gone on, on trail runs and things like that. But I 100% agree with you. The one that she did leave out on there is the sleep. Um, and, uh, and, and for amateurs, like you said, it is so basic, isn't it? Eat well, sleep well. And, and, and that's, up I, I suppose that's the big thing you'd say with all of that is don't do all
1: the 1% as well but miss out on the rest of it. Yeah. If you're not doing the big things right, it doesn't matter how many one percenters you do; it's not going to make a difference. If you're not sleeping well, your load management is all, all over the place, you know. But you're going to all doing all the recovery bars and doing all taking protein and supplements and doing all these extra little yep. things. But you're not sleeping, you're not recovering, and your training plan's wrong. It doesn't matter how much other stuff you're doing; it's not going to end well for you. So, one yeah. is are good, but only once you're absolutely nailing everything else that you need to do the big ticket items with your training. Yep. Get your load management right. Get strong then worry about the other things. If yeah. you get those things right, you're sleeping, eating, drinking, doing everything else right, then worry about the one percenters, but don't focus on the one percenters if you're not getting everything else right initially.
0: Mm. Do you uh, do you keep like a uh, sleep log? Do you keep keep track of your sleep?
1: Yeah,
0: I, I've, and not a lot of people don't, but I've,
1: this watch doesn't really leave my arm. I can't I sleep with it on. So I've get that data coming through every morning kind of want to go straight onto my Garmin Connect account. I can see how many hours of sleep I get. Um, And I suppose it's important for me with that too because I'm getting up quite early a lot of these mornings to go for these runs. So I make sure that I get to bed at a good hour so that I get that sleep in because, you know, you can do that a couple of days a week. But if you're getting up early every morning and missing out on a couple of hours of sleep every night, that adds up way quicker. And I'd say you're – I'd argue that you're better off to miss one of those runs and have a really good night's sleep versus – trying to get up early every morning, being tired, fatigued, and trying to push all these runs because it just puts you in deficit for the rest of the week. So that comes down to listening to your body.
0: It'll tell you if
1: you're tired and need to sleep in.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't know whether I said it to you. I think it was yesterday. Um, if I do sleep in and I plan to do an afternoon session, I also won't open Strava because yes. that you know I don't want to see. I just, I just want to get up. Okay, I'm feeling a bit tired. I want to sleep in, go to work, and then I'll do my session in the afternoon because one of the things which – you know, as great as Strava is and as great as all these tracking things are, it's like any social media account, isn't it? It can really have a negative effect on you as well. When you know you're tired and you have to sleep and you have to rest, you don't need to know what everyone else is doing because it's only going to force you to get out there maybe when you shouldn't be. Um, so, yeah, look, some some great tips from Sally there, but also uh, importantly what you said, Kyle, is the, is the in an amateur world, not to take a, a focus on what the pros do and not to try and copy what they do, to look at them from a curiosity point of view and to see if there's, you know, you work with your coaches and when you work with your squad and the people that you know, to see how things can be implemented, but, um, yeah, sleep and rest and food. Hey, it's, it's, yep. really- it's the, it's the non pretty non glamorous things that make the biggest
1: difference. Often yep. the 1% things are the glamorous things that look good, for, you know, for everyone to see you are doing, but if you're not doing the other stuff, right, you're wasting your time and money doing it. So get the <laughs> other stuff right.
0: But, uh, <laughs> After talking a bit about a, a pro tip, let's jump over to the Golden Trail Series, the, the, yeah. the best of the best. Now, I didn't follow this, but so you've got a lot of info on this, which is great. So talk us through what yeah. think So this was the championships, obviously
1: given COVID, this you know threw the year out a little bit, but they had the Golden Trail Championship. So people would have heard us talking about the Golden Trail Series that Salomon's the main sponsor of that they put on each year, mainly folks around Europe and a couple of races in the States as well. Um, but they had their, trampi- their trail championships on. And the interesting thing here is it was an invite-only event, so I think 100-and-something runners go, given the restrictions. There was $100,000 in prize money up for this this event, which is massive, 100,000 euros, sorry, not dollars, even more than in our dollars. Um, but it was in the Azores Islands, which are Portuguese islands, but they're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. They're almost halfway between North America and, and Europe. Um, I'd never even heard of them before, but it's this group of small little islands that just the scenery looked absolutely spectacular. It was a lot of rainforest and then just steep cliffs, ocean. It was incredible. So this was a lot of the best mountain runners, sky runners in the world. There was a couple of strong orienteers there. So it was kind of, you know, the mixing and the matching of everyone that's that's good in trail running as well. Um, yeah. And I was really interested because Jim Walmsley actually went over. Now, he doesn't normally race a lot of these guys, these European guys very often, so Obviously, I don't know, he's been training a lot, but how much he's been doing specifically like this. I saw him post a few videos, his days leading up to it. And a lot of it just looked like it was scrambling up mudslides and climbing (laughs) over logs. It was proper trail running. So I was interested to see how he went. Um, But it was actually a four-stage or four-day stage race, which a lot of these guys won't, you know probably won't have done too much off. So it was, the distances were 23, 24, 29 and 34 kilometres. But each race had between 1300 and 1900 metres of elevation gain. Really wet, really muddy and really steep. So it's a tough four days. So I've never done a, a multi-day race before. So I don't know how I would attack it, but that was what they did. The other interesting component of this is they had uphill segments, downhill segments and a sprint segment on each stage and the fastest time, male and female, on each of those three things for each race, got a different colour bib, much the same as what they do in all the cycling races. Um, so there was a red bib for the uphill, green bib for the sprint segment, and a blue uh, blue bib for the downhill segment. Um, and there was the... I have to look, I've got the prize money up there. Basically, there was prize money for every, there was 500 euros for every stage win that you got on any of those categories. So wow. not even if you won the whole thing, if you won the uphill segment, the downhill segment, or the sprint segment, you were getting paid for that. So I watched a couple of the highlights of the days and there was a there was obviously people there just to target specific segments on this. So Remy Benet, who people probably know, he's done a lot of running for Salomon. He recently had a crack at breaking 30 minutes for a vertical K, which he did. Yeah. Um, he won the uphill segment pretty much every day, but he wasn't up the front in any of the day's results. So he was really targeting all the uphill segments. Um, there was someone who won every single one of the downhill segments, one of the other guys, but he didn't feature up the front of the race as well. But then wow. I watched him one of the highlight packages. There was two guys who were vying for the sprint, the green bib, much like the green jersey and cycling. Yeah. Who They had a big arch up at the start of each sprint segment. It was only a kilometre or so. It was only short segments and an arch at the finish. And those two guys stopped mid-race together because they were racing for the win. They stopped together, got their breath, took their time, did a few stretches, and then took off together and actually raced the sprint segment in the middle of the race <laughs> and <laughs> their job was to finish the race. That's so cool. there was all these little races kind of going on. There was the people going for the overall win, people going for the uphill race, the segments, sprints, and the downhill. So there was stuff going on all over the place. And I kind of like it. I didn't like. I saw it initially. I was like, ah, oh, why wouldn't you just go for the you know, first person across the line? But... I suppose it's people that have strengths and you know, weaknesses in different areas. And it was really, I, I think it's a great idea. Um, so that was something that was a little bit different. Um, but in the end, Maud Mathis, who we've spoken about quite a lot, um, she has yep. an winner. She's won most of the races. She took out the females one. Um, and Bartholomew, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. He's from Europe. He actually took out the win. Jim Mobsley was second. So he beat Jim, which was quite impressive. Um, wow.
0: Where, yeah, where, was, you, what, what country is he from? Do you got the country? Uh, I don't know I don't know if it's
1: Norway or it's one of the Scandinavian countries. They're oh, okay. just incredible right. athletes. Um but he's won quite a few races Lead recently. He beat Killing in one of the races recently. Um so he's he's pretty much one of the fastest guys in that type of terrain in the world at the moment. Um but yeah, yeah. it was if people haven't seen it, the Golden Trail series on YouTube have posted little two minute clips of each day's races and they'll obviously follow that up with I'd say longer videos of each of each race or the whole thing, um, but go and check out this, these little two minute clips of each race. They show a really nice highlight package of you know, the type of terrain that these people are running on. It was it was really cool to watch.
0: Well, that's my that's my viewing for tonight. That sounds unreal. And do you think um do you think that'll stay next year? Will they bring? Well, do you think it's just a gimmick for for what's been going on this year? I don't know. I like it. I kind
1: of hope they keep it, but I, I kind of hope they do it on a bigger scale, like these segments weren't too long. Like there was climbs, but they weren't in the sprint was short. It'd be interesting to like put these in bigger events and longer events, um, especially in ultras. I'd find it fascinating because if, you know, if you had an uphill segment, which I didn't know, did they do that at Brisbane trail ultra? I know they yeah. had an uphill segment. Yeah. Red Bull. Yeah, Red Bull. But if Red they Bull do that, Yeah, if they do that kind of later in the race, you know, there's people that probably would try and, you know, go easy and then try and sprint the climb, but they probably still can't do it as fast as the people at the front. But it just adds a whole nother dimension. I like the idea of just having a little sprint segment in the middle. Like, I actually like that more than the other ones. Like, they picked the flattest section on the course, whether it was, there was one day where it was right near the finish, the last kilometer into the finish was the segment, one was about halfway through after the climb. There was all these different spots. I think that was brilliant. So, it's basically like you could do this in any race. Someone could go and make a segment for the, you know, the road stretch of coastal eye and yeah. have a look ran it the fastest on the day. You know, you could do things like this all the time. Anyone could do it. You know, any race is listening, just put a segment there and you'll it'll tell you. Um,
0: but, but I like but, it. I think but good. what they seem to have done well with this, uh, the golden trail one, is because I, th- I imagine that most of the times at an amateur level, if you did that, it would probably be the fastest male, female overall who would probably end up taking that segment. But they've, They've staged this, haven't they, across a four-day event, so that it really gets a mixture of athletes um, with very different strengths and very different disciplines. You don't just want the, the first person across the line to win everything—the climb and the sprint and all that. You want other That's people right. to be then. So um, it's, it just sounds like they've just taken a leaf out of Tour de France and just you know, manipulated that, which is great. I've pretty much copied it, which is I like it. It's good innovation. So no, that was. I had, again, never
1: heard of this happening. And I've heard of, you know, King of the Mountains and things, but not sprint segments and downhill segments and someone – and I like the fact that it was in a multi-day race, someone had a bib on the next morning. If they yeah. were the fastest uphill of the day before, they got the red bib. Yeah. So things like that, I think that's really cool for – not that there's many stage races
0: around, but it's a brilliant concept. Absolutely. Absolutely. All righty. So that's that's a pretty good uh, pretty good fortnight there. So as you said, not too many races uh or well, none that we've talked about locally but we've, we do have we do have some coming up don't we kyle we've got um we got the That's guzzler this weekend um which i i hope it's cool for them hopefully these storms are going to bring in a bit of cooler weather because oh man if it's anything like last weekend it's going to be tough so all the best to the guzzler people there sunday there's the uh run gc the last lead-up race before gc50 uh, the 10k um of course gc50 is in a month five weeks time Coastal High and um, Biwa at dusk. BOR at dusk, I think, is on the same day as GC50. But Coastal High, that's been that's a week before GC50. Um, yep. And Travis Island and myself and a few others from Run Down Under we're going to be at the top of uh, Apple Tree. I think at the checkpoint there so we're going to be manning that one. So um, yeah, we might try and talk to Steve Jackson um, and see if we can have a bit of a chat to him before GC uh, before um, Coastal High. See if he uh, has a few tips for us who might be there. And we might even try and get the, the guys from GC50 on as well. But um, before we go, Kyle, run down under. Yeah. Where are we at? I'm currently right on Sail, which is a town on the
1: southeast coast of Victoria. Yep. So I've got 828 kilometers to go to finish the, my lap of Australia. Hang so on. 828? Yep. And I reckon we've got what, nine? I think New
0: Year's Day is on a Wednesday. Or well, I, maybe. I see, think we've got about I nine weeks at my right there. I don't go in weeks anymore. I go in days. You've got 59 days to go. How many kilometres you got to do? 800. Oh, I've got to do 827. 827 divided by 59 will give me your daily total required. 14.01 kilometres per day. That's pushing it up there off. now. 98.
1: It's 98.1 kilometres a week. I didn't realise it was that high. Okay. I need to
0: pull my finger out and get running. Let's push up. But with our, with our backyard, our main beach bigs backyard. Um, That's right. That could give me across the line. The it's
1: going to be an interesting. This is going to be a tight finish. This might be a New Year's Eve finish of run down under. I hope it's just so I haven't pulled Trav away from something.
0: And <laughs> when you take into account as well, you're probably gonna be having a taper week leading up to G C fifty, so you'll probably only bank sixty or seventy there, which means you're gonna need a couple of one tens. <laughs> it's gonna to be tough. It's gonna to be tough. I'm excited
1: as well, and I think I should get a little trophy from Trav. When I finish, I'll still be the slowest finisher to date of Run Down yep. under. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited yeah. for that.
0: it would be awesome. But no.
1: The other thing yeah. before I go, the assist. That's
0: what it's called. Runner up in Big oh, Backyard Ultra. It's called Big the backyard. Assist. The assist. Absolutely. How do you get that um, back in? And I think I'm I'm heading for Perth and I think I'm down to 10.8 kilometres a day required to get to Perth, which is a lovely number, isn't it? I'm jealous of that, much jealous. <laughs> I need to get running. That's a lovely number. All right, let's wrap it up for this fortnight. Um, yeah, we'll have a lot more chat in terms of racing. Uh, Guzzler review we'll have, and as I said, the 10K as well and a few other ones around. So, um, yeah, have a great fortnight, everyone. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you out there on the training course. In a couple of weeks. See you, mate. See ya.